Well, good morning, Highland Park. As Brian said, my name is Zach, um, and I did have the opportunity to intern here uh, over the summer, and uh, I frequently tell people that that was maybe the best summer of my life. I loved living here in Tulsa. I loved attending church with y'all. I loved the people that I got to do life with and learn with. Um, and so it is just a pleasure uh, to be back here again. And yes, I was a little confused when Sammy started uh, talking about, you'll notice there's a tall, bearded, handsome, I went, Sammy, that's very, it's very kind of you. But no, that would be Jose. That would be Jose. Um, you know, not me. But uh, anyways, Brian said, we're going to be in John and y'all have been going through a series called Life or Death. And you're tracing this theme of life and death, the compare and contrast through the book of John. Now Jesus, I'd say, makes an offer of life or death. Yet as I'm thinking about this, it's not that Jesus offers, well, you, here's life and here's death. I have them both. Uh, pick one. No, Jesus comes and he offers life. And he offers life in the midst of a dead world. Whether you know it or not, he comes and he gives you an offer. And the offer is either you take it as Jesus offers it freely or you don't. And by failing to act and receive, you're choosing death. Um, now, this theme is traced all throughout John, as we said, and Jesus makes this offer consistently. And yet often, despite all the efforts that he makes, people just don't get what he's here to do. And they fail to see that he has life. Despite everything that he says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living water, people still don't seem to realize it. John summarizes this phenomenon in John chapter 1, uh, by saying that the light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. And again and again and again, Jesus will preach, I am life. You need the life that I have. Come and get it. But the darkness consistently does not understand. Yet John also offers another summary statement at the very end of his gospel about the purpose of his book. He says, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that by believing in him, you may have life. And so there's this tension in the book where the light comes into the darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand. But John lets us know that he's writing so that hopefully we will understand, and we will see, and we will know that in Jesus there is life, and that by believing in him, we will have life. Today, we're going to look at a story where there's some darkness and Jesus will come in as a light illuminating that darkness to give life. Some will understand, some will not. But let's go ahead and look at John chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and this is a story of Jesus healing a man born blind. And I'm just going to read the text. It says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. 
But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. That's the first part of our story. The beginning of the story, Jesus comes onto the scene and there's some darkness. Uh, the darkness that I'm thinking of and want to point out in this text is sort of the, the intellectual darkness that the disciples have. There's some confusion um, and there's various points of view in this narrative about the way that God, Jesus, and the world work. We can see this in the disciples' words at the very beginning. As they're going along, they see a man who's blind. And the disciples' response, instead of saying, Jesus, there's a blind man, what can we do? They say, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Seeing a problem, their first reaction is to ask, well, whose fault is that? He must have done something to deserve that. Who sinned, Jesus? Why, why did this happen to this man? Now, I didn't live here long, uh, but I'm told, at least in the history of Tulsa, this kind of teaching, uh, historically, has kind of been around. This idea of, well, if bad things happen to you, you must have done something wrong to deserve that. Um, and if good things are happening to you, it's because you're living rightly. Um, and if that's something you've been exposed to, well, maybe Jesus' words that happen next uh, will be illustrative to you and illuminating. Jesus illuminates this darkened understanding and he says something rather surprising. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. It's a surprising thing that Jesus would say this because he's looking at a broken man. Now imagine how this man might have felt growing up. All his life, he's learned that, well, this is happening to you because you must have done something wrong or your parents did something wrong. So perhaps he's asking, why me? Um, what can I do to be better with God? Uh, why, why am I blind? Surely not thinking that he will be a conduit of God's glory. But Jesus arrives on the scene and says, no, it's not that God is punishing this man. Rather, this brokenness here, I'm going to get some glory out of it. The first thing that we see in this text, and the text that I want to, the point that I want to hit home today, is that God receives glory from the broken world by redeeming it. This is the light that comes into the darkness, okay? It's the idea that Jesus comes not to condemn the world, but to redeem it. And he illustrates this by healing the man. He does it in a strange way. He puts some mud on his eyes and he heals him, but he receives his sight. Now, I don't know if the man was mad about being blind, but I imagine he surely wasn't too mad about being blind after Jesus heals him and restores his sight. And he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. The light has come into the world. Unfortunately, though, the darkness doesn't quite understand it. And that's the next part of our text. Um, if we'll keep reading in chapter 13, we see this. They brought the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. 
there's some more confusion about the way uh, that the world works. The Pharisees are caught in this trap of religiosity. Instead of seeing the miracle of a man born blind being healed and rejoicing in that, they don't have room for the kind of Savior that Jesus is. You see, the kind of Savior that Jesus is is summarized in John chapter 3. Y'all know John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then if you continue reading in verse 17, it says the following. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The Pharisees react poorly. Now, this is par for the course for the Pharisees. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you've heard Brian um, or Dave or whoever's been preaching preach on some texts probably where Jesus has healed people. In fact, he's healed people on the Sabbath, and this just doesn't sit well with them because the Pharisees are about keeping rules. They're about being holy. They're about keeping themselves clean and staying away from people who are unclean so that maybe God will be pleased with them. But God's sure not pleased with these people over here. They have no room for a Savior who, in fact, comes into the world to redeem the world, not to condemn it. Now, I want to speak to some of you this morning. Maybe you're someone here who feels like, for whatever reason, you're outside of the scope of grace. That was this blind man. From birth, he'd been told, you're outside of the scope of the grace of God. God's love and God's grace is not for you. You were born blind, which means either you sinned or your parents sinned. So not only is this about a disability, this is about his sin. So I don't want to allegorize this text and make it say something that it's not, because this text isn't talking about the man's spiritual brokenness. And yet, if God can receive glory from healing someone's physical brokenness, how much more when he heals our spiritual brokenness? So if you're someone this morning who feels like, I'm too broken to be received within the scope of the grace of God. I want this text to speak it to you because Jesus says that God gets glory from the fallen world by redeeming it. You just have to let yourself be redeemed. If you're broken and you feel outside of the scope of the grace of God, you need to know you're precisely the kind of person that Jesus came into this world for. In fact, yeah, I can't say it anybody. You're precisely the kind of person Jesus came into the world for. And yet, too often, unfortunately, the church, some in the church, have been known for being like the Pharisees are here and using our religion and our religiosity to exclude and to tell certain people that they can't be within the grace of God. To say that unless you become like us in XYZ way, you can't belong to us. That's why the Pharisees get mad, because Jesus consistently includes those who the religious people wanted to exclude. But Jesus doesn't put any conditions on healing this man. He just heals him. Well, there are a few. Jesus simply tells him what to do. He says, here, I'm, I'll put this mud on your eyes. And he says, now go and wash. Go and obey, and I will heal you. This man probably wouldn't say, I healed myself, right? He would say, Jesus healed me. So there is a way for him to be saved. 
But this mercy, this grace that Jesus offers, it's unconditional. He extends it freely, and that just doesn't sit with the Pharisees who have no room for a God who gets glory by interacting with the messy world. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I know that I have a little bit of brokenness in my life, and I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus comes not to condemn, but to save the world through himself. Now, in the end, well, I just made a classic preacher mistake by closing my Bible. You shouldn't do that if you're preaching, because then you're just going to have to flip through it again to find, to find your text. Okay, there it is. Um, so light comes into the darkness, right? How are we doing on time? Whew, I'm flying. Um, light comes into the darkness. The darkness doesn't understand it. But remember that John writes so that we may have life by believing in him. I'm going to skip down towards the end of this story where Jesus talks about spiritual blindness. This is a little bit confusing, potentially, uh, but we're going to go ahead and uh, read there. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. Now stop. The Pharisees react by throwing the man out of the synagogue. Um, I've heard too many stories of people who uh, receive the grace of Jesus. They hear about the love of Jesus. And then they come into a church and someone responds with, ooh, you know, I don't know. You have those tattoos? Maybe you should cover those up next time you come in here. Or, ooh, maybe you should dress a little nicer the next time you come into church. Or, ooh, you know, you come from this side of town, or you have these habits, or you X, Y, Z. We don't do that in church. That's kind of what these Pharisees are doing here. Uh, They hear, first of all, the amazing testimony of this man, but they insist on not believing it. We'll come back to that. And they throw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? So Jesus goes looking for this man that had been rejected. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now there's some cryptic, difficult stuff to understand in that text, but I want to start with what is easy to understand here. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out. He goes and he says, he finds a man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? I'm him. He says, I believe. Jesus heals, and the man believes. These things are written so that we might believe. Um, So with this, I want to encourage you uh, that if you have a testimony of having received the transforming grace of God, um, that you wield that to uh, effect so that others may in fact believe. The man's response, if we go back, he can't help but testify to what the Lord has done for him. He is interrogated again and again and again, and he says, I'm just, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And people are amazed. Back in verse 8, when they said, is this not the man that was born blind? I can just hear them saying nowadays, is this not the man who was an addict? Um, Is this not the man who was beating his wife? Is this not the woman who suffered with insecurity? Is this not the person who came from a broken family? 
Is this not the person who X, Y, Z? And then they meet the transforming grace and mercy of Jesus, who didn't require any of the, anything from them first. And they go out a changed person. The key to this is that the grace of Jesus does change, and it does transform. And when it transforms, people can't help but notice. And they will ask, and they'll say, was this not the person that X, Y, Z? And some people will say, no, that's not possible. I have a friend, for example, who was trying to apply for the police department in Colorado. And this person, he's a grown adult. He's a good friend of our families, but had some, some struggles and had a bad past with gang violence in his younger years. And upon applying, they said, no, we can't accept your application. You have a past of gang violence. And he said, no, I've met Jesus. I've been transformed. I'm a different person. And they said, no, that's not possible. You can't work with us. And that dream was crushed. He couldn't work there. And yet there are others that say, no, it must be him. And this man himself insists, no, I am he. That's me. How incredible is it that the very thing that used to bring the man such shame, his blindness, his brokenness, the thing that marked him as a sinner, now becomes his testimony. He says, no, I was the man that was blind, but now I can see. And they said, who did it? He says, Jesus. Jesus did this for me. Paul says that I boast in my weaknesses because in my weakness, he is strong. And when you meet the transforming grace of Jesus, that thing which was once your shame now becomes your testimony. And you declare, I once was blind, but you're not ashamed of that anymore. Do you know why? Because now you can see. I once used to be an addict, but now... I'm free. Jesus has freed me. I once wrestled with insecurity, but now I'm, I'm free. I know who I am. I have my being in Jesus, X, Y, Z. Now, as a person who's journeying right now, right, there's a temptation to think that we need to get there all at once, and we start doing this Pharisee thing to ourselves, and we think that if we're not better right now, that God's grace isn't still working. That's not true, we still must cling to the transforming grace of Jesus because like this man, we, what, what is our, our shame becomes our testimony. Why? Because God receives glory through the broken world when he redeems it. He can redeem this man and he can redeem you. And yet there are those that don't see. And then Jesus ends with this cryptic saying about blindness. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of see. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go backward. For judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What in the world does that mean, right? Um, the Pharisees say, what, are we blind too? And Jesus says, if you're blind, you'd not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now that last part, I'm not entirely sure what it means, if I'm going to be honest with you, but I think I can try to make some sense of it for you here. He says, I've come into this world for judgment. And I think that that might be related to this idea of the choice that we're talking about throughout this entire series, where when Jesus comes into the world, you are, are forced to react to it. Uh, he is a dynamic, life-giving presence. And once you see the life, you either embrace it and accept it, or by doing nothing, you reject it. And hence is the judgment. You either choose the life or you don't. So that the blind will see. So that those who once were, were broken can be redeemed. That's why he came. 
But so th those who see, those who think they don't need redemption, will become blind. What is the blindness in this text? The blindness is failing to understand the purpose for which Jesus came, and it's failing to see yourself within that redemptive story. You see, what's uh, the one prerequisite to being healed of your blindness? You've got to be blind, right? You've got to be blind first. The Pharisees say, no, we're not blind. They don't see themselves as in need of redemption. And as, as a result, they miss the entire point of who Jesus is. He came to redeem. So if you don't want that redemption, if you don't think you need it, guess what? I'm sorry, you're out. That's the only thing that puts you outside of the scope of his salvation. Now there's still grace for you. And if you see, you know, and you realize, oh, I need the grace of Jesus, you can fall within it. But they don't. And so he comes for judgment so that those who are blind can see. But those who think they can see and think they've got it figured out, think they have their ducks in a row, think that they don't need the grace of Jesus in their life, think they don't need to be healed in any way, you're blind. He says, I'm sorry, you're blind. You just don't get it. The darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not understood it. He comes so that we can have life. So where do we fit in this text? Hopefully you, you heard something and you go, oh, that's me, because you know, I, I don't have too many places where we can fit in this text after that. I was scattered everywhere. Um, but where might we fit in this text? Maybe we, um, are, we can be like this man in a number of ways. Um, maybe first, I don't want to exclude anyone who actually relates to the story of this man. Uh, maybe you're in a place of just suffering and you don't understand, you know, why am I hurting? Why am I sick? Why am I down on my luck? Um, and this applies to you too. Um, to know that God can redeem your suffering and get glory out of your life. Uh, your life doesn't have to be purposeless. Rather, it can be repurposed for the glory of God. Um, where was I? I'm sorry. It can be repurposed for the glory of God. Uh, also, though, if, if you're someone who is wrestling with your own brokenness, you need to hear that God can redeem your life and will get glory out of your story. Um, whether you are suffering with a physical thing and God heals you physically, or whether you, like in Corinthians, Paul says, are being inwardly renewed day by day, God will redeem your life for his glory. But I want to give a word of warning, too, to those who might feel the need to make their religion something with which they exclude. And that is that if you have a picture of Jesus that is anything but willing to be inclusive of all the brokenness in the world, if you look at people and say anything but how can God be glorified in their life by redeeming their story? Maybe you need a little more accurate picture of Jesus because that's what Jesus sees when he looks at people's life. He doesn't see um, a mess. He doesn't see, uh, he doesn't see um, some, someone to be excluded. He doesn't see someone and say, well, you need to get a little cleaned up first and then I can use you. No, he says, I... I want to use you. How can your story, your life, glorify God? And hopefully there are a few of you within here today with whom that resonates uh, because our lives are to be for God's glory. Um, so if that is something that sounds appealing to you and you want your life to be repurposed for the glory of God and you're interested in accepting the life that Jesus offers in the Gospel of John and throughout the rest of this scripture, 
Well, there will be people to uh, pray for you here at the end. In the worship band, if you want to come up, uh, you can do that right now. Um, but uh, if you would like prayer or you would like to talk to somebody about receiving the life that Jesus offers, um, there will be uh, elders who can do that for you. Will they be at the, the front, the back? I forget how the drill goes. They'll be at the front. Yes, you can come to the front um, and talk uh, with somebody about Jesus. We would love that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, worship band's going to get ready and uh, we're going to pray. Uh, just know that God uh, wants to get glory from your life uh, by redeeming it. And there's no one who is outside of the scope of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we love you very much. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, that uh, despite our inadequacies, despite our weaknesses, Father, you are glorified. In times when we don't feel adequate to do the work that you've called us to, uh, you equip us and you make us adequate in your Son. At times when we don't feel worthy of your grace, you remind us that you're here uh, to offer us grace, um, despite the fact that we're not worthy. Father, um, I just thank you for your Son, Jesus. I thank you that he came as a light in the midst of a dark place. I pray that you would help us to understand him, to let our guards down, the parts of us that want to justify ourselves um, and uh, exclude other people. Father, forgive us when we don't want to extend grace uh, to those who desperately need it. Father, help us see ourselves within the framework of your redemptive story. Father, help us most of all um, just to love you more and more as we know you more and more. Uh, we love you and it's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen.